Welcome to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan, and each episode I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. Before we dive in, I want to let you know about two very important things. Number one, the stories shared here are often gritty, raw, and vulnerable, and very likely will include speaking about sensitive topics suited for a mature audience. Number two, this podcast is also broadcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. So on whatever platform you follow myself or Freedom Nutrition Coaching, you have the opportunity to participate in this discussion during the live stream. And we encourage your participation both by commenting and asking questions. And so this podcast is about exploring the stories that take place between the before and after photos, not just in the realm of weight loss, but in all areas of life. So let's dive in. All right. I'm super excited. I'm always excited for my guests, though, coming all the way from down under. I'm not sure how you're saying your chair being upside down, but I guess Australians have a special trick. <laughs> how are you doing, Mary? It's good to have you on the show. Hey, John. How are you doing? Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where in Australia are you located? I'm based in Melbourne, which is down under Australia. I'm right at the bottom. <laughs> right at uh, the bottom of Australia, yeah. The bottom of Australia on the East Coast. And, you know, we're known, as you know, for having four seasons in one day, quite literally. And it's yep. happening every day at the moment. So. <laughs> well, I think as a Canadian, um, you know, having lived in Australia a couple of different times, uh, I find like the climate down in the state of Victoria, which is where Melbourne is located, is much more tolerable than Queensland, which is like the tropical north. Yeah. Uh, my my in-laws lived up there for about 15 years. And so we'd go and visit and usually visit for a couple months at a time. And I just found like brutal, like the, the stifling, because we'd often leave in the middle of winter, where in Canada, you know, it's like minus 40. And then you hit like Queensland and it's like plus 40 with 200 percent humidity and you just feel like a, a walking puddle of grossness and so i'm like whose idea was this you know and, and there's the shock i'm like do i take my coat with me in the airport or do i just do a freezing walk from my car to the airport you know it. but it's true oh uh, yeah but i mean over here we can get variations of like minus 40 to plus plus 40 um and sure. people don't realize we can get hit those temperatures in canada as well it's not super common but uh it, we do hit it so um yeah. So uh, for people who are just tuning in, uh, what what are you up to these days? Like, uh, how do you how do you occupy your time besides being awesome? Oh well, I mean, look, a lot of my time is consumed. I mean, I'm a mum first and foremost. Yeah. I have two boys. There, one is ten and one's twelve. Um, they both attend a school that's a hundred percent online, and they mm. absolutely love it. So it's it's kind of like this new modern way of of learning. So they're just fantastic. I spend a lot of time with them. I really nurture them. You know, I'm very conscious about raising um, highly conscious boys. So I mm, spend mm, a lot mm. of time in that space. Um, and of course, you know, I have my business, which is I'm also a coach and I work with industry experts. And, you know, John, some people like to call their vocation a job, but my vocation really is my passion. It truly, mm. truly is. And, you know, it took me a long time to get here, but, you know, I run a very successful coaching practice. Uh, I work with amazing people. I spend a lot of time thinking. Uh, I do a lot of reading. Um, I don't have a TV at home, so there's no TV time for me. It's either a book or it's time in contemplation or journaling. So they're, they're, that's that's sort of really my life <laughs> up at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so Mary Mary Henderson Coaching, is it? Yes. 
Awesome. Well, you know, I can join in the club of people who are truly passionate about coaching and it's more than just a job. It is a vocation. It is a calling really. Uh, One that I ran from for many years myself. I've had 11 different careers. And so it took me quite a while to get to the place where I was comfortable with the fact that this is what I'm really good at. This is what I'm born to do. And this is what I love. So I commend you for uh, stepping into that space as well. And, you know, um, everyone has a story. And Mm -hmm. I I love the opportunity to explore, like, as we say in the intro, the stories that shape us. How do we get to this place where this is what we're doing with with our life? Because I think uh, growing up, maybe this wasn't your dream, or maybe it wasn't even on your radar, that you were going to be like an executive and a professional coach. And so, um, you know, and uh, did you grow up in Melbourne as well? Like, are you born and raised there or have you traveled around Australia? I'm born and raised in Melbourne. Both of my parents migrated here in the 60s and my dad in the 50s. And, you know, I'm just the typical daughter of a migrant family that came to Melbourne. You know, my mum's Yugoslav, my dad's Greek. So it doesn't get any more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I believe like throughout history, there there was definitely um, some animosity between uh, yeah. like the Greeks and, and uh, the Slavic. Yugoslav region. Yeah, the Slavic yeah. region there. Yeah, so... So, but they could come to Australia and find love. They found love. So I mean, hope. it yeah. does happen. It does happen. It, it, it does happen. It does happen. Together till this day, so something's obviously working. No. <laughs> yes, yes. So, isn't that great? Some of these new world countries you can come to. Yeah. Uh, you can leave some of the the, the old history behind and, and create something like that, and create like a new life and a new beginning. Um, I know a, fr- a friend of my dad's. My dad grew up between New Zealand and Australia, though he's actually interestingly born in Canada. Um, but he had a friend whose father escaped from communist Yugoslavia um, into yes. Greece, and he was supposed to get on a ship to Canada. He wanted to go to Canada, got on the yes. wrong ship, and ended up in New Zealand. Um, but he talked about, so he was like a student protester under sort of communist rule and whatnot. He talked about like escaping from like being naked in a prison cell, doing push-ups to stay warm, uh, having scraps of meat that he, he'd like stolen to feed the dogs to escape under the barbed wire and stuff like that. Like, cause he was scheduled for execution. So the, the stuff that we, I just share that cause I'm like, man, sometimes we don't realize just how darn lucky we are to like live oh in these, these free and amazing countries when, when people literally crawled under barbed wire and escaped under threat of death to get to these countries where we enjoy freedom so it is pretty cool spot on i actually relate to that story and my grandparents shared many stories like that both my parents are children of war they've experienced war they've been in the thick of it and you know i often think to myself like how do you actually survive something like that and become a normal person yeah and then then you migrate to a country that is so foreign to you you do not know the language you literally are here with one suitcase literally yeah and you have to start your life all over again i mean I just don't think I could do that. I really don't. It's boggling your mind. Like it, I just think of like you know, it it might sound, and I don't think it is over dramatic, but it's traumatic to go through something like that where your entire life is in uh, in upheaval and you're dumped into an entirely new country where you don't speak the language, where people may not be entirely kind to you as well because there's a gap in understanding. And to do that and to build a life, like the strength of character that takes. And, you know, I think about an interview I did recently with another lady um, and she talks about transgenerational trauma. And it's really, really fascinating stuff where, and, 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 and I don't know if I'll piece together exactly correct, but essentially the way that we could think about it is, your mom's, uh, your grandmother's eggs, which were formed, um, on, you know, at, at birth, essentially lead to like what became your mother. So the trauma that your grandmother felt or experienced through epigenetics becomes 
like what your mom carries in her genetic code, which became a part of you. And so it's, and, and I'm totally messing this up, but essentially the, the long story short is trauma skips a generation where whatever your grandparents went through is kind of written epigenetically into your DNA, which is yeah. really fascinating to think about. It is because you look at your traits and your character and there are just some things that you just can't explain. I can tell you right now, in fact, I'm actually exploring this in the in the form of in archetypes at the moment and I'm like, mm. you know, why do I do that all the time? Like, I mean, I can't explain that. I can't explain it, but it just, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I look back at my grandmother, you're absolutely right, and her life was trauma. Like there's just aspects of her life that I can totally see that I have as part of me that I've never experienced, but suddenly character. it's really weird, but it is absolutely true. Yeah, because it's, it's, and and now my brain is like trying to piece it all together, but it's like, so, um, yeah, it's like, yeah, the eggs that your grandmother had carried in her ovaries that became what formed your mother and so on and so forth. Cause I think like my grandmother, she was born in 1914. So the first four years of her life, like we were going through world war one, you know, 1917 Spanish flu pandemic. And she, she was the one that discovered her sister deceased in her crib, you know, um, had to had to stay home um, instead of going to school to like raise her 11 siblings because my my great grandparents were too ill to raise them. Um, so had to give up going to school, became a janitor because that's uh, she didn't have uh, sort of extra extra or, or post-secondary education, you know, uh, lost everything in a house fire, uh, had her, her, one of her sons died at the age of seven when he drowned. And, you know, I just think like all of this, a lot of this happened even before she had electricity let alone like the internet and cell phones and, and had to even, you know, and it just, it just blows my mind. And I go, wow, anytime I want to complain about my life, I just sort of yeah. look back to two generations before what my grandparents went through and I go, yeah. Oh, you know, that thing that I wanted to complain about, like I can hardly fathom what it was that they, they experienced. And so, yeah, I think it's super, super fascinating. And I imagine I'd be curious, you know, how some of these elements um, and your understanding of sort of the human psyche and whatnot sort of play into the the type of coaching that you do, because uh, if I understand correctly, do you work primarily with like business executives? Is it in like business development as from an entre- entrepreneurial standpoint or like C-suite executives or what is it that, that you do? I, I typically work with industry experts. So anyone that self-identifies as an industry expert, it could be someone in C-suite. It could be somebody that's a PhD in academic. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be somebody that already is a coach, but they're just not uh commercializing in the way that they want so it just really depends but but typically i they are called industry uh, experts but you know just to answer that question to extend that you know in my what i realized about my upbringing based on that background is that it really does form your character in some ways you acquire traits that you think what the hell like what do you mean yeah but then on the other side you know, I've developed some amazing traits, resilience, mm. patience. Uh, my communication skills, I would say, is actually my number one skill because when I was growing up, I was the interpreter, you know, from the age hey. of five, you know, with my grandparents not being able to speak English. So each time my parents, my grandparents would uh, go shopping or or the doctor, my grandmother would grab me, I would be the interpreter, and that was basically my role. And right. so, and it was interesting that that kind of shapes you into becoming this tolerant 
person because that's what it yeah. it's amazing and tolerance is another one like my tolerance level is so so high takes a lot to push me over the edge but I learned all of these traits as part of my character because of that upbringing and you don't think that it impacts you you know at the time you're like oh my god I've got to go to the doctor with granny again but the thing <laughs> is that yeah. from the age of five this is molding now my brain of how I listen how I transfer the information yeah. you know language then transfer it back to English you know and then have to find words as a seven-year-old like really and yeah. so it forces you to really grow up and mature, but most importantly, it's that tolerance, John. And I don't see tolerance in our society anymore. I really think that we've completely lost that. Really, we have, like, you know, maybe, um, maybe we could give a give a just a Coles notes definition of tolerance as as you see it, because I think right now, often tolerance gets used in the capacity of just like basically accepting anybody as they are, and so on and so forth. And uh, there, there, you know, I think you're you're referring to it from a slightly different perspective here. I'm talking about it from the perspective of putting yourself in someone's shoes. That's exactly mm -hmm. my perspective because I can't be tolerant. It's just like you and I just spoke about our grandparents, okay? I could say, oh, my God, my mom's this, my mom did, but she did this to me. But when you actually put it in context and you put yourself into their shoes, mm -hmm. you become tolerant. You know, you can say, oh, you know, I become, I, you know, I'm grateful or whatever language you want to wrap mm -hmm. around that. But it really is about being tolerant. And you don't see this in the school system either. There's no tolerance anymore. It's my way or the highway. You fit in my box or you don't fit in my box. You, mm -hmm. you know, you're this religion or you're not that religion. You follow this politics or, you know. So do you see what I mean? There's no tolerance. Yeah, there's, no there's a lot of polarization happening and yeah. we're losing. I, I really feel as though we're losing the capacity for nuance. And so for yeah. me, it's an integral part of the coaching I do is really compassion. And compassion is kind of the ability to seek to understand without necessarily having, you know, empathy. I think of compassion as like empathy 2.0. So empathy is, you know, really right. the ability to feel someone else's pain. But if all we do is feel their pain, we don't actually help them move forward. And compassion is really desire to help them uh, move forward from their place of suffering and and rather than say enabling unhelpful behaviors and so I, I think that's really really fantastic i wanted to dive more into kind of your personal story growing up as well because i think you you actually wanted to be a professional singer is that right correct absolutely oh my god like rock star in the making i still mm -hmm. like silently believe that you know that right you know i'm the one that's in the bedroom singing in the shower singing and when there's a karaoke you can be guaranteed i'll be the first one on the stage but that was my dream. That's ex yeah. absolutely right. Um, you know, I had my parents thankfully set me to uh, train my voice from the age of five right up until my late teens, and um, it really impacted my life massively, like massively, and in a beautiful way. Uh, it was like my escapism. I used to write songs, and it was, again, my escapism. It was about me writing how I felt, Um I didn't grow up in a family that allowed me to express myself emotionally um, and, you know, my parents were constantly fighting with each other. There was just this misunderstanding constantly. So my sister and I, we were constantly caught in the middle and as a kid I couldn't handle that noise. So singing for me was a really great way to escape from all of that, you know, and get, getting mm -hmm. my pencil and, 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 and a notepad out and writing, uh, 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 writing songs. It was just all about self-expression. So my voice became um, a big part of my character. You know, it was it really defined my persona. It defined who I was. Um, it gave me an identity. Um, mm -hmm. that I 
loved and I was proud of, you know, so it was a really yeah. hard. Were, were you performing like in high school musicals and things like that? And every uh, high school musical that there was, I was the first one, you know, there, like I would, uh, it was just hilarious, but I would always get the lead role or I would always get a major role in, you know, in all the musicals or it was just even, I mean, I went to a Catholic girls school. So then we had the choir, you know, I was involved right, in everything, yeah, yeah. everything musical I was involved and it was just known, you know, like, oh, of course, just get Mary or Mary will do this or Mary. So I really, it was just, yeah, it was just such a, a massive part of my, um, my identity. And I really, you know, I embraced it. Mm -hmm. And and maybe this is part of what led to, because I think after sort of maybe being discouraged or even prevented from pursuing this as a vocation, it's like there's there's a loss of identity that takes place there. And oh. you kind of go through this period of grieving or mourning and, and whatnot. And so you said, um, it, you know, in in sort of our pre, pre-show communication that like this set you into kind of a downward spiral for, for a number of years. Um, what was that kind of like for you? Oh, it was, you know, it was just awful, John. Like the thing is that, you know, all my life as a kid and as a teenager, my expectation and belief system was I was only going to go to the College of Arts. Like that's all I could see. It's all mm. I wanted. Um, and then my parents were like, that's just not going to happen. Like what, what sort of a career do you have going to the College of Arts? Like we migrated here, you know, to give you this great education. You need to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, you know, you can't embarrass us. It was that. That was the mindset of that generation, mm, and especially yep. migrants. Like they have this idea that, you know, when they have the your, your photograph plastered on the wall with your university degree in your hand, somehow it validates them as great parents. Um, and that's just an old paradigm. And so <clears throat> when they said no, I'm like, well, what do I do now? Like I actually am not interested in anything else except performing arts. And so I went to university. I studied psychology. I hated mm. every second of it. Um, <laughs> I pulled out in my last year and or not, not the last, sorry, I pulled out in the third year. That wasn't my last year, but I pulled out in the third year and I was just like, I just got to get a job. I got a job in uh, the media industry. That's where I started my career. And um, I was really miserable throughout my entire twenties. Like I was sad. I was yeah. very, very sad. Um, just lost, had no idea where I was going. But the problem is with that is that then I started to self-destruct and okay. you know, started to really self-destruct, get involved in the wrong with the wrong crowd, getting, you know, in in going to going to places where it's very, very dark, you know, and you know, and and when you start going down that path, you know, it's game over unless mm -mm. you actually wake up. And I did have yeah. my wake up call, you know, like I just one day was and I ended up marrying like this, this, this just terrible person who just treated me terribly but of course he was going to treat me terribly because i treated myself terribly who else right, was right. tracked right and so you know did you have kind of like a, a rock bottom moment here because i was kind of curious when you're in that frame of mind how it affects the relationships that you you form oh massively like what relationships did i have like every relationship i had was just destructive it was based on deceit it was based on it was just dark um so I ended up marrying this guy, which lasted for three months, and it was just, it was horror. It was a horror movie. And I realised immediately that this guy is just taking me down a pathway that I need, it's not going to end up very well. 
So I, mm. I was conscious enough to realise that and recognise that. So I left that relationship, but that was when really I hit rock bottom, John, because I really, really was, I lost my identity. I actually didn't know who I was. I was mm. wrapped up in this cloud of darkness and it was so thick. I just couldn't get out of it. Um, and then honestly, yeah, that's like, one of the I'm, toughest places re really to be. And I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, so, cause a th three month marriage is not a very long one, you know? Um, but how long had you been in a relationship and how, how did you meet this guy and how did that relationship form? Cause I'm kind of curious about the, the, the dynamics here. And, you know, if you had hopes that marriage was going to change things for you. Yes. Well, of course I thought, I thought that that was going to save me. I met this guy at a bar. He was working behind the bar. You know, that was the first red flag. Um, and then we ended up um, having this like quasi relationship. Um, he lived in, um, he was originally from Perth, which is in the Western side of Australia. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up moving to Perth with him. He got a job working in the mines and here we are working. He's he's away and I'm living in this apartment by myself, <clears throat> miserable, totally unhappy, lonely. And how do you build a relationship with somebody that doesn't yeah, live yeah. with you, right? So you think it's a relationship when you're on the phone, you know, every second day and it's like oh you know hi babe how are you, you know blah 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 it's all just light but realistically there is no relationship mm -hmm. so then this so then we get married and it was like two strangers and walking down the aisle in fact the day i was getting married i looked at my mum and dad and i said i gotta get i, I can't do this this is wrong. And my mom being the, you know, very dominant, a very dominant personality, she's like, I'm sorry, Mary, the show must go on. That's exactly were her exact words. And mm -hmm. so I walked down the aisle like freaking out. It's like this little girl walking down the aisle, not a woman, a girl. Like I was so frightened, so scared because I knew what was waiting for me. And I was exactly right. I was a hundred percent accurate. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting way of phrasing it. Like, you know, you were, uh, I guess in your, in your twenties at this point in time, but there's like a little girl on the inside. And I think when we go through um, something where we, we lose like a piece of our identity, sometimes we get kind of caught uh, or, or like frozen in a certain emotional state. And so while chronologically or in a time-based sense, you might've been in your mid to late twenties, but emotionally and mentally, you were still that, that teenager. Exactly. Who, who had these big dreams that were kind of stolen from you because you'd spent a number of years just kind of wandering around in limbo, not really developing and maturing as an individual. 100%. You're absolutely spot on. And, you know, I also do believe, John, that everything is divinely orchestrated. I do believe in that concept. I really do. I feel that, you know, even though there were a lot of uh, inner, inner battles that I had to overcome I, I I could see that I was one I was that child that had so many battles ahead of me in my 20s even in my 30s and and but but it does shape you for the better and I mm -hmm. think that you become an, an you know and when you get into your 40s what happens is that it just this burden starts to just you know leave you because you know how to deal with it you have tools you have yeah. strategies mentors etc so you you're mature enough to actually you know go become the person that you are meant to be not meant to become but you're actually meant to be yeah and, and i love that because i think i mean i've just ticked over 40 and uh i was a little surprised when you said you're in your 40s i was going to pick a little bit younger than that so um <laughs> but uh it, it's, it's, so it's true 
that there's a certain degree of freedom that comes with because yeah. of the different experiences that we go through that like shape who we become. It, we almost like, I think like I've, I'm grateful for some of the hardest experiences that I've been through because I wouldn't do what I do right now, working the way that I do with the people that I do. If I hadn't gone through those experiences that forced me to dig deep and even come to the end of myself and actually have to humble myself to ask for help and, and, and get what I, what I needed. And so, um, I gather so this marriage didn't go didn't go so well and you had to really dig yourself like you hit your rock bottom after you left the marriage. Um, was it really a sense of like I, I don't even know who I am and how do I find myself? Oh my god, absolutely. And you know, and the thing is that, you know, I remember sitting in my car at the traffic lights and just screaming in my car, like so loud. It was just the most weirdest moment because it wasn't like I was like it was it was leading towards this moment it just happens like something overcame me and i was like i will never ever 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 allow anyone to ever control me ever again ever 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 and like i was really it was almost like i was in rage honestly if somebody was looking at me they were like this this here's a case when you send it <laughs> you know to the white room but yeah, honestly yeah, yeah. But it was so cathartic. Yeah, um, like a visceral expression, release of emotions that needed to come out because, you know, like they only come out through the top. They don't come out through the bottom. Well, the thing is that that was a very, very pivotal moment for me because in that moment I was like, I could have changed my life. Like I have got to change my life. It's totally up to me. And that was the day, that was my first day. Like I was like, okay, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What industry do I want to work in? You know, what? how do I see myself? How much do I want to earn? What car do I want to drive? Where do I want to live? Like all of these things that I aspired to be and have, I was like, I can still do that. I can be that. I'm not old. I can, I can have all of this. And so I decided in that moment that I was going to uh, get a job in the tech industry and that I was going to, um, you know, really make that my vocation because it was, it was, it was a the tech till this day the tech industry is vibrant. It's alive. It changes mm-hmm. all the time. It matches my persona. And so, uh, would you believe, John, that it took me twelve months to actually land my dream job? But I persisted. It wasn't like not like I I applied for one or two jobs. I applied for over 150 jobs. I had 48 face-to-face interviews. I always came second second best, never got the never quite got the number one, but I persisted. I was resilient. I knew how to be resilient. I knew how to be tolerant. I knew how to be patient. That's when those traits really kicked in and played a huge role. But the job that I landed changed the the, the trajectory of the rest of my life. Mm, yeah, and what was that job? That was working for a tech company, which was the, which still is the largest IT distribution company in the world, an American based, was American based. And, um, and I uh, was in sales. I got a job in sales in, in actually the middle management role. And I just got the most amazing opportunity in that job. And it was in that job where I learned about personal branding. That's where I came face to face with personal branding and made it my version. And it was so interesting. Honestly, I did not know that I had this way of um, bringing the best out in people, if you will, but I had my own little system in my head that I was capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. 
well. And so that's where my journey actually began. But it took 12 months. It wasn't 12 days or 12 weeks. It was 12 months of sheer persistence. Right. So you, you said in your mind after after ha- having a cathartic screaming session in your car at a traffic light uh, mm-hmm. that I'm I'm going to change the trajectory of my life. And then you decided you're going to go into the tech industry. Now, your educational background, which was, I think, your undergraduate degree, had you completed any other education or was it still just sitting as an incomplete undergraduate degree and you decide it doesn't really matter, I'm, I'm going to go into the tech industry. H- how did you how did you start looking like how do you even um, start in something like that? I just was relentless. I just called every recruiter that I could that was in, you know, that was in the tech space. Um, and I just had meetings. I applied for jobs. I just kept on applying for jobs. All the jobs that were that were advertised in the tech industry under the banner of sales, I was there and I was just going for it. Like I was applying for a lot of jobs. So mm. it wasn't like um it was easy to find the jobs to apply for. That, that wasn't the problem. It was actually just landing because it was in such high demand. Everyone wanted to be in the tech industry. So if you didn't have the experience, you were the last one on the list, even though my personality was great. They loved me, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just never quite got it. But this job that I landed, honestly, the way that it happened was just so unreal. And But it was meant to be. It was abs- And I just shined. I actually became the number one salesperson in all of Asia Pacific when I worked in that company. Amazing, um, yeah. And, and the highest paid salesperson in the industry. It was crazy. So yeah. I turned my life around. I really did. So when you're at like month seven, you don't know that this is a 12-month journey. You're at like month seven. You faced a significant amount of rejection. You've applied for a lot of jobs. You're you're doggedly determined that this is the future that you want. And yet seven months in, like you haven't been seeing the result you're looking for. You know, how did you how did you navigate through that slog? What kept you going? Oh, well, I have to share this with people because this is just such a an, a an important lesson and a learning. I then started to have fun with it. Like instead of being all dreary and depressed and poor me in victim mode, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm at the point now where, and I laugh when I say this because it actually, and my sister and I, we were killing ourselves laughing. I'm like, I'm just going to apply for this job here, which is a CEO, a CEO of some major, <laughs> you know, tech company or a CMO, like all C-suite roles, right? And there's no way that I'm like, absolutely not for me but I'm like I'm just gonna do it like what have I got to lose and and I started having fun and like really really having fun and we would just kill ourselves laughing like with absolute conviction and just like you know that laughter in the belly it was like that mm-hmm. and so I'd be like oh I wonder what they would say <laughs> <I wonder what. laughs> but anyway this one recruiter he actually called me and he's like Hey, Mary, it's, I think his name was Hans. He was German. It was so funny. He was like, hey, Mary, my name's Hans. You applied for the CEO, no, the CMO role for blah, blah, blah company. And he said, I'd like you to come in and we'd like to interview. And I'm like, what the, you know? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> that, that, that uh, you know, what you're talking about, Willis moment. It was, yeah, one yeah. Of those, it was like, oh my God. So anyway, I actually go in and have this meeting with this guy and he sits me down and he's like, so what made you apply for this job? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> And I I literally just burst into laughter. And I said, well, if I didn't apply for that job, I wouldn't be sitting here right now, would I? And he's just like, he goes, I just had to bring you in here just to meet you. He said, do you know how courageous this is? And I said to him, and I told him exactly what I was doing. And we were in that room. He was laughing with me like we were crying. And I said to him, 
you know, I've realized something. I said, if I have fun with this, the right job will come. So I said, I can be gloom and doom, or I can turn the whole thing around and, you know, and I can play with it because I said, you know, and what I realized, John, is that our soul loves to have fun. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, like that's what lights us up because you laugh and it's light. It's like, what, what have I got to lose? It's like a game. It doesn't matter what happens because you're not attached to the outcome now. Now you're attached to just the humor. It's not the outcome anymore. But, but, but what it did is it just gave me a completely different perspective to persistence and, you know, all that, that whole process of getting to your destination. It takes time. And this is what I say to all my clients. Everything takes time. There is no such thing as a quick fix. There is no such thing as getting rich quick. It Everything takes time. It needs to be nurtured. Um, so that's, that was that. So that's, that, that was that story. Yeah. You know, have you ever, have you ever communicated with Han since? No, no. It, it would be funny. I don't know. How many years ago was that? Oh my God. Like, 20 years ago. It was just a long time ago. It, was it, very it, would, just, it would just be funny if, or, or maybe serendipitous, even if you were to ever bump into him again and say, because I imagine, like you said, look, there's no way, you know, you don't have a, a snowball's chance in hell of actually getting this job, but I just wanted to bring you in because. Exactly. Like, yes. It's like, you're, it's fun. Like, this is fun. Like, I, I, I just want to meet the persona behind this, you know, behind <laughs> this. Anyway, so it was very funny. Yeah, that that's absolutely fantastic. So, um, but then ultimately you, uh, went from the tech space, like being a sales individual yeah. to building your own tech company. Is that right? Yes. So uh, then I was headhunted in uh, 2002 to work for a, mul an, a, an, a multinational based out in California. And that was amazing. That, that, that job really changed my life, like really changed my life. I mean, I was, it, I turned the whole thing around. We had massive salespeople um, and it was a great company to work for. I just knew from the day that I was born that I was meant to be an entrepreneur. Like I, you know, just mm -hmm. I, I always had that craving. You know, all my when I, when all the children were playing with Barbie dolls, I was playing with calculators. You know, so it, my parents knew that there's something not right here. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like dolls. Like she's not into all that stuff. She's just. A, I just want. I was obsessed with the calculator. Till this day, would you believe I've got calculators all around me? Don't ask me. I just love numbers. So mm -hmm. I was always very much. Um, <clears throat> I was very intrigued by, you know, innovation and how things work and how things happen. And, you know, I was always intrigued by how people create things and go on and become great people. I was always intrigued by that from a very young age. Even people in our families, you know, that were successful, I was intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, and I desired that. I wanted that. And so um, in 2005, I started my own tech company. And um, so I had three, this is my third startup. So the first startup was um, essentially the company I worked for, I became their competitor and I right. was developing um, peripherals out in China, like really, really gorgeous, sexy laptop bags and beautiful cables, beautifully designed. Everything was just so beautiful. And um, I got a contract with one of the largest retailers here in Australia, which was the Coles My Group. And that was just massive. It was a really big opportunity for me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, two years into that contract, um, the buyers changed and all these Maya, the whole strategy changed in Maya. So um, my products weren't ranged anymore and it was very right. difficult for me to get them into other retailers here. So it's sort of, 
it died slowly, which and, and I and the thing is, John, that I just didn't have the energy to just keep fighting. It was just such a hard for me at the time. Okay, looking back now, I would have done it completely differently. But right, I just right. yeah. I just lost my confidence, and it was like, okay, I've got, I've I've done that. Let's move on to the next project. And then the second startup was I started a software company. Um, I saw that there was a huge gap in the academic sector. I started that. I had that company for seven years and um, and it did really well. You know, I turned over seven figures. I had an infrastructure. You know, I serviced mm-hmm. a, 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 a sector that was undernourished. Um, but again, you know, I got to that seven-year mark. I had my second son and lying in hospital, putting my lip balm on, as I reached out to get my lip balm, my business card falls out on the bed. I suddenly pick up this business card and it's like Mary Henderson, managing director. And I'm like, as this business card, this business card is defining who I am. Like this business card is validating where I fit in society and how Mm -hmm. the outside world perceives me. So I had this epiphany in that moment. I knew in that moment that I would resign from my own company because it was not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Absolutely, I knew yeah. that. Now, there, there's a really, kind of an interesting detail here that you, you sort of glossed over, speaking of um, lip gloss, um, and, and that is the birth of your second son. So somewhere along the way, you found yourself in, in another um, relationship, which has yes. led to the, the, um, the two boys that you now get to cherish yes. and enjoy in your life. Um, yes. So did you, you ended up finding, you know, despite having gone through a traumatic relationship yes. and whatnot, you ended up finding somebody that was the right fit for you. Um, I, I think that what happens in our life is that my husband, I'm, we're still married, you know, my husband yeah. is, is um, if I was to look at the, him today, would I marry him today? Probably not, you know, because I've evolved exponentially. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is that he was right for me at the time. And, you know, he was a, he's a very, very, very good, decent man that's a very hard worker and a great provider. You know, on the emotional side, it's not very good, you know, so he's like he's not the he's not the emotionally open you know like expressive sort of a guy whereas I am you know I'm just like mm-hmm. I need to tell you how I feel you know he's not like that so that's been a bit of a challenge but at the same time it's been a massive learning curve as well for me as well and so you know and you know with marriage any marriage you have to put the energy into it it just doesn't yeah. work on yeah. its own, right it just doesn't so and, I, and the other thing is John you know, like we're all, we always think that the grass is greener on the other side, you know, and I have come to realize that unless I'm happy on the inside, nothing ain't going to happen on the outside. Yeah, so yeah. become more my <clears throat> purpose. It's like really being deeply happy in deep inside myself. That's Watering most- that grass. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, and that's really amazing. So you had this epiphany and you decided, you know what, this is, I don't, I no longer wanted to be defined by these labels. I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm going to resign from my own company, which is a seven figure company. In other words, turning over more than a million dollars in revenue yeah. annually. So I'm resigning from that company and I'm going to, I'm going to start again because yeah. by, by now you've, you've um, started and, and built up a couple of different companies. So uh, you have, you've acquired quite a skill set uh, and rebuild yourself as Mary Henderson coaching, branding, yeah. Uh, specialist, digital strategist, that kind of thing? Well, the interesting thing is that um, when I resigned from my own company, thankfully we merged my company with another company, so that was great, and then I it freed me. So I um, I took a 12-month sabbatical. I just mm. had to go and find myself, and on that first day 
I would say to you that I was probably clinically depressed, like, and I didn't even realize it. Like there was just so much burnout and so much deep sadness inside of me that I didn't realize I was, it was all, all blurred out and numbed out for many, many years. And this moment I, I realized that I just have to stop. I've got to stop. I need to stop and actually find myself. I need to change my life. Mm-hmm. Like I I need to change my life. So what, what does it mean when we say find ourselves? Because I think we use that expression and, and it's it feels somewhat nebulous or esoteric when we try to uncover that. And so what did it mean to you to really find yourself? For me, it was, un- and I didn't know this at the time, but I know now, for me, it was really understanding who am I truly at my soul level? Like mm-hmm. what is that self-actualization actually feel like and look like what what what, how would I how do I see myself really without judgment Mm -hmm. without anyone telling you can't have it you can't be but what is my soul what vision does my soul give me when I ask myself that question and what are are the unique gifts that you possess and bring bring into this world Exactly, exactly. So in that 12-month sabbatical, I had a lot of mentors. Thankfully, I was very fortunate to be able to be in that position. Um, And I had a professor in philosophy who was in that space for 30 years um, and taught. he changed my life, like literally changed my life because it wasn't self-help. It was none of that. It was going really deep. He brought a lot of ancient wisdom to the table. It was a very different experience. Um, And he was the one that really helped me unravel you know this true self and what it actually looked like what 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 knowledge wisdom and skills was I carrying that I wasn't declaring and Mm -hmm. so going back to my voice and singing singing was is my talent but my voice is my gift so Mm -hmm. the voice the gift never leaves you that's that's encoded in my DNA so how am I going to channel that gift now okay singing's gone Let's look at another talent and let's channel it through that talent. And so it took me 12 months to actually get into this mindset of understanding Mary and getting comfortable with myself. I had to um, re-establish a relationship with myself and I had to unlearn a lot of things and relearn my philosophy and my my view of the world through my lens, not mm-hmm. not through my parents' lens or my grandparents or society. Yeah, that's quite a process to go through to, uh, especially um, a little bit older in life. I, I don't know, were yeah. you in your 30s at this point? Had you crossed over the 30, 40s mark or? 30, 30, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so we're trying to unlearn like many, many years of beliefs yeah. that have been the sort of the frame of reference we have for existing in this world. Even that in itself can be quite a disconcerting process because there's kind of a metaphorical death that's taking place as we leave yeah. behind the old version of ourselves to move into a new higher version of self. 100%. You're absolutely right. And it's exactly what it was. It was, it was, it was cathartic and confronting at the same time because yeah. all the beliefs that I had, suddenly I was challenging these beliefs and I'm like, oh, my God, like I don't even believe in that. Why am I, why Why has that become my normal? Get rid of that. You know, but but it was questioning a lot of things as well, even my parents. Um, but it was, it was a really big cleansing process that took a long time. And you know what, John, I'm still going through that. Like that, mm-hmm. that was a long time ago. Like, I'm still... 
I'm still on that trajectory. Like I don't believe that you ever give up. I think you always are always cleansing. You're always finding the better version of you. You're always upgrading. You're always growing. For me, certainly that's the case. And so, um, you know, and I think that 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 12 month uh, process allowed me to fully recognize and appreciate my genius zone, the mm -hmm. things that I can do with ease and grace. That's what it allowed me to appreciate, which brings me to where I am today. Absolutely. Yeah. And we kind of, we kind of bring that, that story full circle, which is, you know, just, I think the ability to, because you've been through this process yourself, you now have the ability to kind of look to others, you see where they might be struggling and you say, yeah. and because I think what you've highlighted is just the importance of coaching and mentorship. Human beings are wired to learn from other human beings, to learn through human connection. You know, we can consume all of the books and all the information in the world, but really to connect with another human being. I say, you can't read the label when you live inside the bottle. Right. And so it just highlights the, the, the power of, of having that. Well, Mary, you've got a really, really fascinating story. And it's been such a pleasure learning, exploring even just a small amount of that. If people wanted to learn more about your story and, and connect with you, um, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, you can grab me on LinkedIn, Mary Henderson Coaching. On You can connect with me on Facebook, Mary Henderson Coaching. Follow me on Instagram, Mary Henderson Coaching, or go to my website, maryhendersoncoaching.com. <laughs> very easy to remember you know uh it's been such a delightful conversation if you were to offer people or say look if, if they've taken the time to get to this point in the conversation and they were to take one nugget away from this conversation what would you like people to take away from this in your story oh my god i just want people to know and this is what i stand for and i'm very passionate about this every single human being has accumulated a thousands and thousands of hours of knowledge, wisdom, and skill. And when you merge all of that together, we get to call that our true currency. That is a currency. I can't tell you how many people are walking around, sitting on, walking around on an actual gold mine. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Is mm. it going to be sheer memory of the past or are you going to take that and do something with it? And that's what I want to leave behind. That's amazing. What is the gold mine that you're sitting on? How do we tap into that? Well, Mary, thank you so much for being on the show again today. It's truly been a pleasure. I'm, I'm really grateful we had a chance to connect. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, or leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become. And I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you. Because if you're still here, your story's not done yet. So keep moving forward. Anyone can come from any place of brokenness and destitution and build an amazing life.